All right, so welcome back to the show. Super excited for today's guest, Christopher Calandra. Hey, Christopher, how you doing? Very good, Jason. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks for having you back. So, Chris, he's been on a future, uh, actually, I won't say future, a prior episode where we went over the uh, seven steps to success at that time. Was that the, the part we went over? Yeah, I think uh, technically it was the seven rules for wealth building for there real estate investors. There we go. There was a ton of yeah. knowledge shop there. We actually talked a lot about uh, your own real estate career and where you have done in that past. So there was so much I'll put in the show notes, which episode that was. Please go back and check out that episode. Today, we're going to dive in, of course, to really some of the, the triggers that are really driving the bull market in real estate today. But before we do, uh, Christopher Calandra is the founder and principal of Elliott Wealth Management Services, LLC, which is offices in Connecticut and Florida. He's a certified financial planner with over 29 years of experience helping entrepreneurs, retirees, and families achieve their financial goals and objectives. He provides each client with the individual attention and tailored strategies to achieve their goals. He's also committed to demoting as much time and effort possible with clients to explain financial concepts, strategies, and investment alternatives in a way that is easily understood, allowing his diverse client base to make informed financial decisions. And he's also the host of Simply Financial Podcast. All right, Chris. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for being back with us. It, of course, is, it's been a minute, so it's great. And this was, of course, pre-pandemic, you know, Many things have, of course, changed yeah. uh, the world, but one thing that's really stood out is how aggressive um, the real estate market has gotten on all fronts. And so for that, I'd love for you to dive in. Talk to us a bit about what you see. Um, you're, I think, in Connecticut right now, so, so even another market right there where, where we have the price charts hitting record highs on, on yes. all fronts, um, inventory low, uh, you know, construction costs high. <laughs> so you, you name it, we have, we have a million different factors, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, I, I'd like to talk about four drivers of this red hot real estate market, this bull market in residential real estate, especially. The first is money supply. So if your listeners could picture, if you laid out four $1 bills in front of you, one of those $4 bills did not exist a year ago. The federal government's response, Jason, to this pandemic and the economic shutdown has been what the government normally does is pump a lot of money into the system. The thing about this episode, though, is that the amount of money being pumped into the system is unprecedented, dwarfing what we saw during the Great Recession in 2007, 2008, and its aftermath. And so again, out of every $4, one of them did not exist a year ago. That's new money in circulation. To be accurate, Jason, it's probably a little less than 25%. It's probably more like 23, 24. But the point is there's a tremendous amount of money in the system. And so with all this money sloshing around, where's it gonna go? A lot of it is making its way into real estate uh, in a 0% interest rate environment where there's some vehicles like the bank and CDs that normally people might've used more than they would today. They're shying away from that because of the lack of return. And a lot of money is making its way to, this, uh, to the real estate market because we have such an expansion of supply. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So I asked two follow-up questions there. Where does the average person go when this money really stops, right? That, that, that's that first question right there. And what is this gonna be the long-term effect of bringing so much more money? Could you talk, you know, even you bring 23% of, of, of that going from 75 cents to a dollar, I mean, that, 
just to think of that on a holistic point of how long we've been here and how much money was just put in circulation is just overwhelming. So what does this do to the overall system? Well, I, I prefer you ask me easier questions because that really is an enormous question. Sure. And I think it's something that the United States is going to have to confront over this next stretch of time. Uh, one repercussion of this is that we're going to see more inflation. And we as a country have not seen noticeable inflation in a very long time. I have a few years on you, I'm 50, I've been in the business 29 years. And I've never really operated as a financial planner in an inflationary environment. Uh, much of that predates 1982. We've been in a phase, a long-term uh, stretch of time where interest rates have been declining. You think about your lifetime, Jason, uh, you've really not experienced much in the way of interest rates increasing. Probably every mortgage that you got personally, I would bet over your lifetime, probably had lower and lower interest rates. So I think that is going to be a major change. We're going to be operating in an inflationary environment. You already see early signs of that with what's happened just since January. Uh, food prices, of course, have gone up since the pandemic. That's continued to happen. Uh, when you look at lots of construction prices, timber, as an example, is just galloping ahead in terms of price. Uh, you see shortages where United States, you often don't see much in the way of shortages. I know we had the toilet paper shortage during the uh, pandemic last year, but you see if you order furniture, uh, longer delivery times, there's a shortage of dopey things like chlorine for pools. Uh, it's a sign that there's too much money chasing too few goods. That's the classic mm -hmm. definition of inflation. So I think this great increase in money supply is going to lead to inflation. I think on a broader conversation topic, it's going to mean different things for the government. The government's spending a lot of money. The government always spends a lot of money. Uh, but we're getting to points where you look at debt to GDP and the deficit is just so large. Something will have to give at some point. It's something the United States has been able to do for a very long time. But you can make a pretty good case that we're getting to the point where you, you can't continue on the trend, so something will have to give. I don't think that's immediately on the time horizon. Again, that's a really big question, but that's something that troubles me, given that I'm 50 and I have a ways to go and I have children and I love this country. I, I think some of that could be a little worrisome over the long term, but the more short-term thing is look at inflation. You're going to see it in a lot of different places, real estate inflation, food inflation, construction cost inflation. When you need to hire somebody to come to your home, Jason, to do something, you know, build a deck, fix something, you're likely going to pay more. I think it's going to be pretty widespread. No, and that, that how does that counteract the average? You know, I heard something, I don't know the truth from it because I didn't verify it, but the, the average net worth of someone either under 30 or 32 is $11,000. And so I don't know how, how, how close that fact is, but how does that, now trickle down to when the money stops to people's ability to, to just keep up and really widening, of course, our, our gap between you know the, the ultra wealthy and the middle class and lower class. Yes, uh, it's gonna depend on how many opportunities can be unlocked in the economy. I, we still have a very dynamic economy and we uh, could certainly point to issues in the economy and there are a lot of challenges that we're dealing with as a society, as economy, politically. 
but you can have struggled through the pandemic and find new opportunities, you know, maybe switching careers, uh, maybe moving uh, to provide better prospects for you and your family. Uh, people become, I want to say awakened, but I know that's a politically charged. That's not what I mean, Jason. But, but you know, with your podcast, some people eventually say I've had enough and they want to get smart financially and spend less, pay down debt, accumulate wealth. And so coming out of the pandemic, I think you do see a greater seriousness for a lot of Americans about getting their financial house in order, accumulating wealth, maybe driving to retirement faster than they did before, realizing that having too much debt was dangerous during the interruptions we experienced last year. So your question, there are a lot of things to be concerned about, but on the optimistic part, the US economy adapted a ton in the last year. And you think about all of the ways that businesses and consumers quickly on the fly adjusted to the new reality. It does show the strength of the US economy, the US's economic system. And I think people can take advantage of that, although unfortunately, large segments of the US, uh, our fellow citizens do seem like they fall behind. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I won't continue, continue to disrail this uh, conversation. So let's jump into <laughs> number two before I come back with seven. Yeah, more. so number two is low interest rates. Uh, when you're acquiring property, uh, interest rates are important. And we are basically in a 0% interest rate environment. Borrowing costs are very low. And the Federal Reserve, which controls short-term interest rates in this country, is on record. Uh, federal chair person Jerome Powell has stated numerous times that they anticipate leaving interest rates where they are until 2023. And so that's a very favorable environment for borrowers. And with some of the other factors, this cheap money that can be had to leverage investment returns in vehicles such as real estate is part of what's driving this real estate market. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think I can't see a, a even we look at this part, I can't see him going back to pushing these interest rates up because it just seems like we're, we're kind of we have everything moving at, at a certain point every time. Any, if anything gets undone just a little bit, we're just going to spiral out of control right now. Yeah, right. Yes. And that's how you, you kind of feel because every every bit of information that you hear like a FUD out there put out. But every single time something like that happens simple things, right? Like Elon Musk just derailed the entire crypto market, you know, like as there's many factors, but I just say that a lot of emphasis went on that, right? But like you see so many things moving because of just, just word of mouth is not even verified out there. And so there, right. there's a lot, uh, everybody seems to be on pins and needles right now. So I- Very I, much so. And the Federal Reserve, their interest rate policy and other policies that they need to employ to carry out their mission of price stability, high employment, uh, you know, they're really having to thread the needle during unprecedented times where things have happened that you never would have thought would happen. So it's it's a challenging time for sure. So low interest rates, I think, is the second big bull market driver. Uh, the third is the stay-at-home economy. Uh, I think there's renewed appreciation for one's home because a lot of us have spent more time at home. And so people with that in mind want bigger homes, nicer homes, you know, better decks, uh, upgrade their home office. Uh, there's been uh, 
a spate of vacation homes and second homes. Uh, so this stay-at-home economy where people have stayed in place, so they want nicer homes or second homes and they want to improve what they have is helping drive the real estate market, both the sales activity, but also the, the values because a lot of money is being reinvested into people's homes. I know what's happened at my house. Uh, we put in a new roof and we've done a number of other projects over the last year. And I think that these often are things that people wanted to do, Jason, anyway, but like a lot of the trends in the pandemic, uh, they existed before, but they've accelerated through the pandemic. And I think that is one of them. If you wanted to build a bigger deck, as an example, at your home, you always had designs on doing it. An awful lot of people decided to do it in 2020 or 2001, and that's helping drive the value of properties higher, the beautification of properties. I wonder how this trend solidifies because typically the, the point is in America is everybody's it's just so busy and fast paced and everything's moving, right? And so you never have time to get done what you want. But then when you're slapped in the face with time and that was, you saw a lot of commitment to that, right? So so commitments to to improvements for things that you now were potentially saying you, you didn't have time for, just taking a granted, right? So from that, the house became a very big identifier, which of course, we've seen a lot of the trickle effects, just like we were talking about, like getting furniture delivered, right? And so you can yes. see that many effects of the things that have dragged out. I wonder as, as the economy starts to open up, things start to change, um, how that, that continues to merge going forward, right? So with, with that effect, and then also housing prices, right? I wonder where the housing prices now trend future, right? So someone buying a house at the, you know, paying a hundred thousand over asking right now, you know, hopefully the plan is to stay in it for, for not, you know, more than, uh, for more than 10, 20 years. Cause they yes. say that, you know, a year or two years from now, I wonder what price values come out to that point. Cause if you're looking at this as a short-term stay, um, it's going to be interesting to see what that entails in the, in the short term horizon. Yeah, which brings us exactly to the fourth driver. And this may be the most important. We could debate that. But the limited supply and your listeners and you probably have an awareness that, you know, there's not a lot of homes for sale in the market. And so classic economics, right? You have supply and demand. There's a decent amount of people out there wanting to buy. And there's not a lot of supply of people that want to sell. There's a shortage. But I read some great research. And if you want, I could get this to you and you could put it in the show notes. But it's through um, a company called First Trust, First Trust, excuse me, an investment company and their economist, Brian Westbury. And let me throw some stats at you. Uh, according to this research that his team did, based on population growth, and scrappage. Scrappage is homes coming off the market because they get knocked down voluntarily or through fires, floods, hurricanes, that kind of thing. You'd expect based on population and scrappage that you would have 1.5 housing starts per year uh, to satisfy the US economy. In the last 20 years, we've only averaged 1.25 million. Uh, so this issue often in the media we'll talk about right now there's not enough sellers and not enough buyers but it seems to me based on this research jason and other research that i've read that this is something that had been building up a while since the great recession we haven't created much in the way of new inventory in this country and so uh 
what we're experiencing is not necessarily just we need more people to sell to get back to market equilibrium, but we have to catch up for the shortage of supply that's been created over a bunch of years, especially since the Great Recession, where you got a real estate market that got wrecked. And the supply coming on has been very cautiously deployed. And now we created this bottleneck. Uh, we haven't created more than 1.5 million uh, new homes in any year since 2006. So if Brian Westbury is right, and it does ring true to me that we need about 1.5 million and we haven't done 1.5 million since 2006, you already had a shortage. And then when you get what happened through the pandemic, uh, it really just heightens the limited supply. So I don't think this limited supply is a short-term thing. Like a lot of real estate agents might be thinking that you just need more supply to come on. We just have not enough supply having come through the pipeline over these last bunch of years. Did I explain uh, that okay? Yeah, it's hundred percent right, right? We haven't been building for, for years and it hasn't been such a point where you have so many who want, so many people who want to move, right? And now we, we couple that with so many people moving out of their house and, and the lack of supply and not being building. Cause you say that if we've never met or haven't met the 1.5 million being built and say we've been 250 on average short, 250,000 homes on short in Delta, you know, that's not just last year, that's, you know, 10, 20, how many years that goes okay. back, right? And so we saw that in 2006, a bunch of builders got crushed and now they're, they're waiting for the contract. They're waiting for that point. And even today, you know, it, you have the other counter effect is that a lot of builders go under contract, you know, prior to COVID, at COVID, and now they, they, they go and quote unquote, say a price. And now they're trying to build a house where prices have gone up 1.7. So they're trying yeah. to slow, slow roll themselves into the contract or back themselves out of it. So that's creating the other bind, right? So, hey, yeah, I'll go build you a home. No problem. You'll be in at this price point. You can afford this. Here's my little profit margin. I'll take this and roll. And now they see, maybe they're upside down in that build That's because exactly now they right. even no matter what the house is worth Correct. because it's now costing 70 percent more to go and, and build the house you're you're absolutely right it's like the perfect storm if you will because you think builders and contractors and even the big companies like lenore and toll brothers you know that they, they'll come online but a complication is that you have out of control prices yeah. And their ability, their visibility to run projects with this escalation in prices and also not even being able to get supply. So not only are things more expensive in the building process, at certain choke points, you may not even be able to get what you need. And that's an even bigger problem. Uh, it's a problem if you're paying more than you expected because you could be upside down. But if you can't get what you need when you need it, it slows down the whole price, yeah. the whole process. And that ruins margins and builders are increasingly cautious about rushing headlong into this bull market. I think wisely so because of the lack of visibility on the cost side of their ledger. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because even today, say say you could still make it up on the price point on the back end. Well, on the same front, they have to have that cost. And if they could build 10 homes for X amount of dollars in four months before, and now it's they, at that same point, they can only build six, but it's going to take them seven months. You know, that there you go. That's the analogy right there of why things aren't working. Just because in the back end, it takes longer, even if they're making that same price point, but the carrying cost is that sound killer. 
mm. that a lot of people just get crushed on when they're holding on that. So well, we have all of our drivers here, of course, right? So money supply, low interest rates, stay at home economy, and of course, just housing inventory. How knowing this, can, can we um, being educated on this topic benefit looking forward? Yeah, I think um, if you're looking for a home, you know, first home, bigger home, second home, it's really a tricky environment because on one hand, a lot of people will say, I don't want to enter into the market. I don't want to buy a home now or I don't want to upgrade my home because prices are just out of control. And that the underlying assumption with that thinking is that by waiting, you're going to get a better price later. And let's just talk about investing in real estate for your own personal use, residential, second homes. We'll talk about investment properties in a moment. Uh, but that's, I think, a tricky proposition, Jason, because I yeah. think if I was asked to debate one side or the other, I would rather be on the side debating that you would not see a price decline that you may not get a better opportunity to buy um, for a little while because of these factors that we spoke about don't seem like they're going to let up noticeably anytime soon. And people I think are assuming we're gonna be like we were in the great recession where you have a reset of residential or real estate prices generally. And I don't see that that necessarily is going to occur. So if you're looking for a property You don't want to pay up because you say, oh, my God, prices are out of control and you have the supply demand imbalance. Uh, But waiting, you might have a more equilibrium and supply demand. You might have not have 17 offers you're competing against. But I don't think necessarily you're going to get a deal based on prices. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, honestly, you might throw price out the window. The only thing that would, the time will help is that you'll have more ability to make a, a, a decision without the rush, right? And that might be to the point where that might be a beneficial topic, but you have to weigh that, right? Because, you know, just like, like a gallon of milk, right? If you're like, hey, I'm not going to buy a gallon of milk for five years, I'm sure we'll go back down to, you know, $2.99. Well, you know, it's never going to happen, right? It's going to keep going up. The, the world's going to keep moving, especially with all this money out there. Things are just going to cost more houses, houses as well. So if you look at the inventory, of where it is, am I going to get a deal six, eight, 10 months down the road? Probably not, but I might be able to make a more justified decision in, in having time to research my, my, my purchase. Yes. But if you're somebody that doesn't own a home and you want to get into your first home, you know, waiting around for one, two, three, four, five years, it's, it's a difficult decision, but you may not be rewarded for waiting And I I think that's troubling. So I would probably say, you know, if if you're ready to buy, buy, be as disciplined as you can. You don't have to be reckless. I think reckless is an example. Increasingly people are entering into contracts with no appraisal, no inspection contingencies. Uh, That I don't think is appropriate for the vast majority of people. If you're a very experienced real estate person and are extremely handy, that's great. Like I know, I am under contract and it's kind of a weird deal, Jason, but I'm, I'm buying a, a second home. It's in a resort area and uh, it's been under contract for a long time. It's been under contract since February and I'm not going to close until mid-year. Wow. Uh, and so uh, the point of that story is uh, it's a hot market and they want to ins- wave inspection. I'm like, listen, I'm going to meet mm-hmm. your needs on a lot of different places, but I'm a finance guy. This this property could fall down the day after I buy it for all I know. I need to have an inspection. If you don't like that, that's okay. 
well, but that's, that's non-negotiable for me. And, you know, other people like my very good friend, uh, he's a builder. He probably could waive an inspection, but I, I think people are being a little too reckless Got it. on the investor front, which I know is really your listener base. Um, I think it's a different mindset now where for a long time from the great recession on, it's about finding deals. And I think the shift, and of course I'm talking in generalities, but I think now the shift is going to be more the path of progress, trying to find not where the puck is to quote Wayne Gretzky, but where the puck is going is going to be way more important than deal finding. Uh, because a lot of properties, real estate properties in this country, we're going to see, I believe, a lot of repurposing uh, because retail, what used to work for retail is not going to work moving forward. Uh, what used to work for office space is not going to work the same moving forward. So there's going to be, I think, a lot of creative destruction around commercial real estate over the next stretch of time, which presents a wonderful opportunity. But it's going to take, I think, by and large, a little bit of a different skill set, a different eye towards creativity uh, to prosper in lots of different real estate markets. I know you do a lot with apartments. I think that's a little bit of a different animal compared to retail, um, industrial, light industrial office, uh, because there's still a great need for apartments and you see a lot of, uh, a lot of population movement is driving certain markets uh, in a positive way and also driving certain markets in a negative way, like San Francisco for the first time in a long time, struggling a little bit real estate because you have migration out, New York the same way. Uh, but there's lots of cities classically actually where you are, Nashville and Austin, Texas, uh, Florida by and large, most cities in Florida, they're prospering because they have population coming in so I think it's a great time to be a real estate investor moving forward. It always is, but I, I think you need to adapt to the new environment, this new phase I think we're moving into. And if you could uh, capture some of that magic, you could do really, really well. I love it. Well, Christopher, I always enjoy your conversation, your feedback, and always the tips you bring us. It's really highly enlightening, but it's a lot of thought-provoking information for us to take forward, continuing as we're looking at opportunities. For everyone who's listened here, what's the best way to connect? What's the best way to learn more about you and your firm? Yeah, well, thank you for that compliment. That means an awful lot to me. Uh, I have a podcast, Simply Financial. It's available on all the major podcast platforms. And I talk about this stuff all the time. Additionally, my firm is Elliott Wealth Management Services. You could go to the website, ElliottWealth.com, find out more information about me, my team, how we help our clients win with money. And so that's a way you could uh, get more information. And I, I'd love it if your listeners look me up. That's great. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show again. For everyone listening, make sure you'd love that, which I know you did. Go back and check out the prior episode, a ton of wisdom there as well. Thank you again, Chris. We'll talk to you shortly. Thank you, Jason.